Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hey, everybody, and welcome to the Billboard Pop Shop Podcast. I'm Keith Caulfield, Senior Director of Charts at Billboard. And I'm Katie Atkinson, Billboard's Executive Digital Director, West Coast. As always, the Billboard Pop Shop Podcast is your one-stop shop for all things pop on Billboard's weekly charts. In addition, you can always count on a lively discussion about the latest pop news, fun chart stats and stories, new music, and guest interviews with music stars and folks from the world of pop. Today on the show... We've got chart news on how Taylor Swift reigns supreme on both the Billboard 200 and Hot 100 yet again with Midnight's and Antihero. How David Guetta and BB Rexa hit the top 10 on the Hot 100 with I'm Good Blue. How Louis Tomlinson scores his highest charting album yet on the Billboard 200 with the top five debut of Faith in the Future. And how Bruce Springsteen and Nas rack up their latest top 10s on the Billboard 200. Plus... Keith and I had quite the weekend, and I truly can't overstate this. Uh, It began Friday with uh, us being two of the lucky humans in the room for Adele's opening night of her Las Vegas residency. Still can't quite believe that. Um, But then we decided to come back to Los Angeles (laughs) and go to Dodger Stadium on Saturday night and also see Elton John's second-to-last North American tour show. Because we don't do anything halfway. Or sleep. Apparently. (laughs) So we're just going to take you all through this magical weekend um, if you stick around uh, in just a little bit. But first... Before we get started, if you enjoy the podcast, subscribe to the show on your favorite podcast provider so you won't miss an episode. And if you want to explore more podcasts from Billboard, visit billboard.com slash podcasts. Okay, let's do the chart chat. First up, Taylor Swift returns to number one on the Billboard 200 as Midnight's climbs two to one, notching its third non-consecutive week atop the list. A week ago, it stepped aside for the number one arrival of Drake and 21 Savage's Her Loss, which falls to number two this week. Midnight's earned 204,000 equivalent album units. That's it. That's it. In the U.S. in the week ending November 17th, according to Luminate. Notably, Midnight's is the first album to earn at least 200,000 units in each of its first four weeks of release since Adele's 25 saw its first six weeks reach the 200,000-plus threshold back in late 2015 and early 2016. Staying with the Billboard 200, Louis Tomlinson lands his highest charting album yet with the number five debut of Faith in the Future. Bruce Springsteen achieves his 22nd top 10 charting effort with the number eight arrival of Only the Strong Survive. It's an R&B soul covers album. And Nas captures his 16th top 10 with King's Disease 3 as it starts at number 10. 
Notably for Nas, he now ties Jay-Z as having the most top 10 albums on the Billboard 200 among rappers oh, or rap acts, a I former, They were in a former feud, but now they're good. Former feuds, <laughs> and look at that, two of the most successful uh, rappers of all time on the Billboard 200. Yep. Lastly, on the Billboard Hot 100 songs chart, Antihero clocks a fourth week atop the list, while David Guetta and friend of the podcast, B.B. Rex says, I'm good blue, hits the top 10 for the first time. Climbs 20 to 7. Its rush up the list this week is owed to basically having the chart clear out of the logjam of new Taylor Swift and Drake 21 Savage album cuts that were clogging up the upper portion of the list for the past two weeks. I'm happy that it ended up getting that, uh, that top Christmas 10 took slot. Over. Exactly. We we honestly didn't know if it was going to make it back um, up this high. So that's great. That's the, amazing. The track interpolates Eiffel 65's Blue Daba D, which hit number six on the Hot 100 in 2000. And this is Geta's first top 10 since Hey Mama, which actually features Rexa, Nicki Minaj, and Afrojack, hit number eight in 2015, and this is actually David Guetta's highest charting song since Without You, featuring Usher, reached number four in 2011. And for BB, it's her first top 10 since Meant to Be, with Florida Georgia Line, reached number two in 2018. Just a fun story all around for this song to find the success that it's found. It's nice, and BB performed it at the American Music Awards on Sunday night. Sans Guetta. Oh. Yep. Well. Just BB. She looked great. So it's great. I was as watching as I was watching the performance. I said, "This could have been 2022, or it could have been 1998." Like it literally is just kind of you know you don't know where this song came from because of the interpolation. Okay, so Keith, the the meat of the matter, <laughs> Keith. Oh man, um, Adele kicked off her residency in Las Vegas this past weekend. She weekends did, with Adele. Weekends with Adele. Uh, nights one and two were on Friday and Saturday night. And Keith and I were in the crowd. like In, in different spaces in the crowd. Yeah. Katie, Katie was on the together. floor, a little bit closer. I was in the uppermost balcony in the middle. So we have different views, different aspects of the show. And if you have been following Billboard.com or Billboard socials at all, you've seen some of the coverage of it. Um, I reviewed the show um, by doing the best moments from it. I wrote up the best one-liners and best banter from the show, which Adele is famous for, of course. We have a gallery of photos from the show. On our socials, we have two different Instagram reels of two different songs from the show. And we just try to cover every last minute of it because, you know, 4,000 people were in this room. That's it. That's out of it. the entire world. And I actually feel like looking at the coverage of it, uh, her home country of England was probably the most interested in what the hell was going on in Las Vegas because... You know, she hasn't performed or done a tour since the album 25 and has done nothing tour wise for 30. This is it. This is the show. Yeah, she did. Well, she did the Hyde Park show. Yes, that's that right. She, she did do Hyde Park in London. And, and of course, the like one night only, um, you know, TV special as well. Right. But uh, I, I can't overstate how great this was. I mean, I, I think I won't speak for Keith. I'll let Keith speak for himself. But um, I was stunned by the just production value of the whole thing, how every single song, it was clear like somebody had thought of every little touch they could add to it to make it just like this overwhelmingly magical, you know, experience. Because we all know Adele has an incredible voice and, you know, singing live, she sounds even more magical than her recordings. But um, I don't know what I expected or I didn't know what to expect from kind of a small 
room theater show from her. And it turned out the way she used these video screens that went across the entirety of the theater just blew me away entirely. I thought it was magical. Yeah, she opens if you've, well, spoiler alert, uh, if you've read the story, uh, she opens with hello. And <laughs> spoiler alert for history, that's what she's going to open her shows with, but continue. <laughs> when, when, you, when you enter the venue and it's at the Colosseum at Caesar's Palace, it's a, a, Caesar's Palace is a beautiful hotel. It's very um, elegant, luxurious, uh, rich. Um, and the Colosseum um, mirrors that. It, yeah. you know, it's a beautiful venue that everyone from Elton John to Celine Dion to Bette Midler to share to Madonna have all played in to the Garth past. Brooks next year. To Garth Brooks. Um, so it's it's a beautiful venue. Um, it is large but intimate, um, small but big. Yep. It's kind of all those things where, uh, you know, though Adele kind of joked in the show about how there were a couple kind of bum seats in the, in the rafters, <laughs> I think generally um, you're going to have a pretty good view no matter where you're at. Yeah. Um, Granted, you know, if you're in the in the upper deck, you're still you're still going to be kind of far away. But she creatively used the venue uh, to make you feel like you were a little bit closer. Yeah. Um, so she used lots of lots of projection screens, um, and you know, I was kind of actually afraid. Uh, sorry, let me just back up. When hello started. It's a very kind of intimate moment where Adele just comes out into the middle of the stage and just starts singing. But it's her and a piano. Her and a piano and a pianist. But the way the stage is set up, it's like, okay, this feels very intimate. Like it's almost like a one-woman show, and she's this one small individual in the middle of an enormous stage. Just it's a huge stage. But when the chorus kicked in, projection screens come on, and Adele is like, you know, four stories high. Floor to ceiling. And it immediately, I was like, oh, thank God. <laughs> like, now I feel like I'm a lot closer to the action. Right. And though she didn't use the screens all of the time, mm -hmm. she used them when it made sense. So it wasn't like you were just watching the screens. Like, you yeah, sometimes no. you watched them, sometimes you didn't. Sometimes the screens would be used to project um, uh, new imagery or music video imagery or whatever. Um, but in addition to all the projection screens, she also used... Um, kind of, uh, I don't know how I'd even phrase it. Like at one point in the show, I think it was during Hold On, uh, lanterns came out of the ceiling. Yeah, and they were they danced. were they were going up and down really pretty like, rapidly. They were actually. choreographed mm -hmm. like clearly on some sort of mechanism to choreograph them so that they went along in time to the music. So. You know, and and the idea of the song Hold On is like you know there's going to be a light at the end of the tunnel kind of thing. So then it, it was dark in the beginning of the performance and then mm. the lanterns like emerged. Everything had like a narrative right. purpose that she did. Um, I, my, I think one of my um, biggest like pleasant surprises was uh, for Skyfall, which is her James Bond theme song from the 2012 film Oscar winning. Um, which had just really lovely use of the projector screens. They kind of started by playing the actual opening credit sequence from uh, Skyfall. You know, James Bond uh, sinking into the water and like drowning. I'm not sure if you've seen the film. I have. Uh, so if you haven't seen the film, that's what happens in the beginning. And um, but what was really cool is that was the first appearance by a string section in the um, concert. And all of a sudden, the wall behind her had little compartments 
dense little squares that each had a string player that all of a sudden appeared from the wall. And they played the credits over the strings. You could still see the string players, but it looked like they were submerged in water. And it was just this mo- it was most beautiful, stunning use of, you know, technology and like the musician reveal. And, you know, it felt cinematic. It's okay. a James Bond theme song. You know, it was like everything had a purpose. And I mean, I think this is probably and I said this in my review, too, like this is probably what Adele intended, like things weren't perfect maybe in January when she first saw the production. I think she went to great lengths to make them what she considered perfect. Right. Um, in what we saw on Friday. Um, I, I want to be certain of this. Mm-hmm. So when it, so in the song, for example, set fire to the rain at the back, gotta of the, talk about that one. At the back of the stage, there was a wall of string players um, in little squares. Yes. Those were projections, right? I don't they, think so. They were not human beings. I think that, and you know, we can, we'll confirm this because there's two different. I assume th- they were video elements. Well, there's two different ways that they use that wall um, and with the boxes in it. And I think one was a computer element and one was real. And the reason I think this is because each of the string players looked different. Like you could look at them and they looked individual. Again, that could have been a video. You could have pretended to like, you know, make those people look like individuals and they mm-hmm. weren't. Later on, um, uh, I'm going to forget what song it was, but there are video projections of like what is Adele or a woman kind of uh, hitting the beat of the song against a wall with her fist. Mm-hmm. And then like it's like she's going like bump, bump, bump slap like that with her hand that was a video because every one of those women looked identical it was like obvious that it was just a uh, animation i assume i just assumed that the wall of string players were uh recorded i thought they were elements. real but you know i've been wrong and i've been naive that would, that before would be, that would be a lot of money to employ like you know 25 string players for like two songs this is a production it wasn't just two songs though it was actually more than that like they were there um, for more than just well, those yeah, two. I mean, on, on the stage itself, there was a band of nine people that mm-hmm. includes three backing singers. Mm-hmm. I just thought that the people that were in the We're going to have to ask yeah. this question. But um, I, I, I think, <laughs> and again, I could be wrong, but I think they were real. So okay. we'll see. Um, so we just sort of, uh, that was a lot of word vomit. <laughs> um, so set fire to the rain. Yeah, we need to talk about that. Um, uh, again, Many, you know, so many songs were staged with uh, purpose and extravagance, and this, this, the title itself lends. Uh, they went literal, guys. Literal. There's rain. There's rain and there's fire. There's fire. <laughs> uh, you know, things get caught on fire. There's literal like <laughs> fireballs and pyro that shoot into the sky while rain is coming down. And it was all. Actual fire and actual water. On stage. On stage. And so the way it was set up was, if you haven't seen any videos of this, the band was behind the rain and Adele was in front of the rain. Right. And before this one started, they completely closed all the um, screens at the front. There was like a transition. Yeah. There was a full transition because this was not the actual piano that was being played, I hope, because that piano was probably more expensive. But the piano that is actually set on fire is revealed when the screens open. It looks like the same piano. Yeah, I mean, what's what you maybe what you couldn't see, mm-hmm. but what I could see. Oh, yes. I mean, I don't know. So, so they do this. They they do the transition where this where the whole stage closes 
and Adele does something back there and you don't realize what's happening and then the stage reopens again and in the middle is the piano, the same piano we've seen throughout the first half of the show. We're like, oh, the piano's back, cool. Maybe she was just doing a costume change. And then you see water start to pour out of the piano, like buckets and buckets and just loads of water just overflowing from the top of the piano onto the floor. What we could see from the top was that there was a big, basically, pond of water that was holding all the water on the stage, Mm. like in a big gulf. So between Adele and the front. A moat, if you will. There was a moat (laughs) where all the water that was pouring out of the piano was pouring into this moat. Behind the moat was the band. And then above the piano in the ceiling was rain falling down onto the moat. So it all had this moat to catch Yeah, I was wondering how they sort of contained that water. So that answers that question. But it still had the effect. I actually, like, was was filming uh, the rain just to show the rain. And then I wanted to show, like... Just I kind of wanted to just show my husband. It wasn't even for like billboard socials. I wanted to show him like how, oh, this is literal water. This isn't um, computer. Because when he first looked at the video, he thought it was just computer rain. Right. I'm like, no, you need to look in and go zoom in on the piano and see. You can see the water splashing on the ground and streaming down the piano. Like you can see the splashing. It's not a projection. And that's when I noticed that there was a fire that had just started. Like, oh. like I when I zoomed in, I was like, wait, there's a fireball down there and then that fireball starts to spread across the entire length of the stage and also engulf the piano at the center of the stage. Yeah, and then there's the big crescendo like towards the end of the song where she really hits the chorus like that and then that's when like fireballs like eight fireballs all go off at shooting once shooting up into the sky behind her and I'm like And you could feel it. I don't know about your seat Keith, but no. I could feel the heat of the flames. I was too far away for that. <laughs> okay, well, in the in the 200 section you could feel the flames. But it, you know, you think cuz I was thinking this before we saw the show. I'm like, you know, the Coliseum has an enormous stage that I don't know what the technical capabilities of it are, but you know, you're thinking how is the artist that has a residency there going to uh, use and maximize the space? Right. And, you know, she and I don't know. I, I don't know if previous residencies have had a moat with water right. and fire effects. Maybe they have. Um, Bette Midler did not. I will <laughs> tell you that. Um, but I don't remember if like Elton did. But that just sort of speaks to kind of, you know, you know, th- when you think. Where is my money going when mm. you see a show like this? Because it's a lot of money. It's like there's a lot of production mm-hmm. and musicians, but you know, at the same time, you're not you're not paying for dancers. You're not paying for like lasers. You're not paying for like her swinging into the audience. You know, maybe she will later. <laughs> I mean, she does walk through the audience. Mm. Um, but you're paying for, I think, when you watch it, you're paying for an incredibly sort of immaculate, classy detailed, specific, clean, elevated production where everything is very thoughtful, very precise and purposeful Mm -hmm. and crisp. Nothing seems loose except for for her chatter, except for Adele being kind of the loose, lovely, chatty, funny Adele that she is because so much of seeing her is getting to experience her personality. Yeah. Um, Because if she hadn't talked between songs, that would be. It would have been a beautiful show. It still would have been great, but I'm yeah. like, so, but so because we we all I think we mm-hmm. Keith and Katie, but also the average person, 
thinks Adele is just like a funny, warm individual. You're like, she'd be so much fun to hang out with and have dinner with uh, and yes. have a drink of wine. And with. I think we're right. Yeah. Um, but I also think that's going to be the piece that makes each show personal. It's going to be because she's going to talk about different things in every show. And you and the audience may actually get to talk to Adele. Oh, yeah. She walks through the audience oh, and yeah. talks Please to the audience. Please prepare your answers. Yes. We were night one, so it's tough. But during or just before she performed when we were young, um, she came out in the audience and she started asking people about their favorite memories from when we, when they were young. I think the people who go from here on out might be able to think of that ahead of time. It's a hard question when you're like under, you know, you have a gun to your head. Adele walks up and there's a spotlight on you and a camera focus yeah. on you. are like, ah, like, I don't know. What's my name? I don't know anything. I don't remember anything. What no, age am but I? but there was, and I mentioned this in my review, like my the cutest one was there was like a little 12-year-old and, and she asked this 12-year-old, like, what's your favorite memory from when you were young? He's 12. And he's like... Well, probably right here and right now. <laughs> it was just the cutest, most sincere answer. Um, but then she also walked through the uh, crowd while singing the song and uh, gave people hugs, including like a drag impersonator of herself and uh, her boyfriend, Rich Paul, and her son, Angelo, and just like greeted everyone as she swanned through and perfectly sang the song right up in your face. Just, uh, it, it's just... Again, the thoughtfulness of like each thing, like I'm going to bring the scope of this thing down a second and just go one on one person to person through the crowd for this very nostalgic personal song. Right. Yeah, I will say uh, I could not see the vast majority of the performance. So there's no camera. There's no big screen that follows her because there's projections of her. Um, the, like, like Polaroids, yeah, photos. photos of her as a kid. So it was and, frustrating because all of us in yeah. the top were like standing up trying to crane our necks. Okay, so to that's see. an interesting perspective. So that's you could just hear that one basically. You no, know, I can hear it. it. I, like I could see her when she because when she was doing the cute, when she was asking people in the audience, they had a camera and they had the projections right, on the screen. Right, right, right. But when she started singing the song, I'm like. Where did she go? Mm. All of us were like, where'd she go? Is she yeah. going farther back? Is she going to come up here? Where, where is she going? Right. And so, yeah. Maybe they should carve out a sliver of the screen for maybe to follow should. her around. And, you know, maybe by the time, you know, if you're fortunate enough to get to see this show, which is sold out for its entire run, except they did add two shows for New Year's Eve. Nothing's ever sold out. But yes, continue. Um, well, yeah, nothing's <laughs> technically ever sold out. You can always buy some incredibly expensive um, tickets. Expensive yeah. Ticket. Um, uh, if you're fortunate enough to see this, you know, the show may have changed when you get to see it. Sure. I'm sure like, you know, and again, one the one one of the things I mentioned in the one liner article is that, um, you know, the one technical difficulty, quote unquote, was her T-shirt gun. Oh, yeah. <laughs> she wanted to shoot out three or four um, autographed T-shirts along with a $50 bill and a handwritten note uh, to four lucky fans in the rafters. Yeah, she wanted it very badly to get it up to the balconies. It did not work out that way. They kind of, they imploded even before my seats. Like, they imploded before the the aisle that she walked through, basically, for when we were young. They were, they were all colossal failures. I will tell you <laughs> that um, I spoke to someone who saw the show on the second night. Oh, ooh, Intel. Yeah, and the the, the bazooka worked correctly. The gun worked It this got time. it up to the top level. I wonder if they packed the gun wrong on night one. Well, I mean, it made for a funny moment even then because then her talking about it failing was sort of hilarious, too. She talked about how they tried out a bunch of different, like, T-shirt guns, one of which was like a like a six-barreled Gatling gun, which she likened to Rambo. 
So like it, she wouldn't have talked about that if the gun had worked. So, right. you know, delightful. Um, but all in all, I mean, I mean, it, it was it was probably like one of those sort of optimal, uh, luxurious, um, over the top kind of really um, incredibly memorable evenings. So if you're if you're of the fortunate few that will get to see this show, mm-hmm. um, you know, you're you're going to come out of it thinking this was sort of the optimal like Vegas residency Adele experience. Yes. Like you, you just are. Even if you're if you if you're in the top level like I were, or if you're much closer like Katie was, it's still going to be probably a very magical evening. And beyond that, just you know, getting like uh, things that you may be worried or concerned about, like getting into the venue was a breeze. Security was easy. <laughs> there was lots of there was lots uh, of um, you know um, beverage options in the lobby. Merch that, is readily available. Lo- lots, lo- <laughs> so many so many beverages and merchandise things uh. that were incredibly. High priced, <laughs> as is the case for all such such things. Uh, but um, yeah, it was um, it was amazing. It was, I, it was a great I, I keep telling people that it um, exceeded my expectations, and my expectations were high. Just knowing what a pro Adele is, knowing how talented she is, I went in expecting a great show and got something better than I ever could have imagined. So that's my review. Put it on a poster. Put it on a poster. <laughs> um, what else did we see this weekend, Keith? <laughs> Just then, briefly, briefly. And then on Saturday, uh, <laughs> after we flew back, I mean, we we both, Katie and I flew to Vegas on Friday. Separately again. Separately. <laughs> flew home separately. separately. <laughs> we don't live together. Um, Just in the same metropolis. <laughs> yeah. And then flew back on Saturday morning, and then we reconvened on Saturday evening where uh, Katie and I went to see Elton John's next to last concert of mm-hmm. his final tour at Dodger Stadium. We saw the Saturday show, and then the Sunday show was live-streamed on Disney+. Plus. Correct. So I guess we got to see him twice, because I definitely watched that whole live stream, too. I watched the whole live stream. <laughs> um, I had not seen a concert at Dodger Stadium since Madonna's Sticky and Sweet Tour Wild. in 2008 or nine. And we just had that whole podcast about like the artists who can handle playing you know, a ballpark, and obviously Elton John is on that list. What's interesting is that um, I've never seen Elton John live. Oh, that's also wild. It is wild, and I, but I—that's why it was one of those things where I'm like, I need to see Elton John. Yeah, and if this is my last opportunity, yeah. I really need to do it. So uh, we we had um, nice seats. We were in the loge section, off to the side, and sort of right field. I yeah, suppose. great view of everything. Um, if you follow uh, us on social media, you would have seen some pictures of what our <laughs> views looked like. Um, so we were off to the side a little bit, but there was lots of screens. Uh, Elton, of course, was – it's a stadium show, so he's going to be a little bit small for the vast majority of the people that are in this venue. Um, but he can keep the attention of an entire stadium even though he is basically one man at a piano with a backing band. Yeah, you know, his, first of all, his voice sounded great, um, you know, that which like – honestly, is not a given with a 75-year-old man who's been singing professionally for decades. Mm-hmm. Um, voice sounded strong. Uh, piano playing, I think, was even more captivating. Oh, absolutely. Like, I think that the fact that he's just banging away on the piano and, how, you know, I'm sure they have it down to a science of how they mic his piano. It just sounds so spectacular in that big environment. And it's it, that, to me, is like center stage for every Elton song, is like the piano. I, I was... I was kind of surprised at kind of how much 
how much they really focused on kind of sort of significant chunks of time where it was just him and the band jamming. Yep. Even though it wasn't obviously like improvised, it was right, all right. very rehearsed. But like, you know, there would be like minutes. Where it's like, not a Grateful Dead show. No. <laughs> but like, you know, they, he would at the at the end of like Saturday Night's All Right for Fighting, like which we got to see on Saturday night, guys. Yes. So it was it was the best <laughs> it was the best possible Saturday night. But at the end of it, there's like sort of a piano solo that he does, and the camera the the camera often focuses an They've overhead shot. They've got a hand shot, camera. Like a, just a hand, like a piano cam. There was a cute little man in the live stream who talked about that, who said he was a pianist. I'm not sure if you saw this guy. He interviewed him at, oh, no, at the that, yeah. crowd. He said, "I play piano." So, like, my favorite part of the show is when the camera goes on Elton's hands, and, and it's it's amazing. Yeah, there's no way he's a piano sinking. Well, and he's got like, yeah, he's got like a keyboard player, but there's nobody who's playing the key, like, the like no. piano. That, that is Elton that John. Part, that part is him. Yes, and the band is just amazing, yep. and. I mean, it it so you go into it thinking, oh, I know I'm going to hear probably like these big hit songs, but then there's also these moments throughout the show where, you know, it's maybe a song that you don't totally know. You're like, oh, that song, I've heard of that, but then he sort of amps it up where he maybe does like sort of a long sort of interlude uh, where him and the band kind of extend it a little bit more, where you're really reminded of just how incredible these these individuals are as yeah. musicians. Yep. Um, so all in all, it was a pretty <laughs> a pretty uh, fantastic show. I got to have a Dodger dog and some nachos. Heck I mean, yes. that's great too. I mean, why not? Um, Let's but, do it all again next weekend. <laughs> wait, what are we doing next weekend? Who's playing Vegas? Oh. Who's <laughs> You're like, no, never mind. I, I mean, I, I, and we got to see, I, we, I was like, we didn't see Dua Lipa. We saw her on the live stream. Um, I have to say, though, I really liked um, Dua Lipa shot, you know, special videos for Elton to play um, during Cold Heart for the for the show, the shows that she was not present at. Right. Um, and I actually really liked it because they were videos I'd never seen before. The, they were not like part of a music video or something. Right. Um, so that was compelling, too. No Britney Spears. No I know Britney that Spears. there was like a lot of chatter. I kind of wanted like a video message from Britney to Elton or something like just a little Britney something. Britney trolling on something. Uh, Britney trolling on video, you know, like waving to Elton. I don't know. It's twirling, twirling while the song's playing. Yes. Yeah, I don't know. Yeah. It would've been great. But um yeah, so it was an exciting weekend and uh <laughs> to say the least. Um all right. Anything else we need to say? No. I I just also, you know, uh, uh Silvio Texted me with a ticket to the American Music Awards on Sunday. And I was like, I can't, first of all, because I'm working. But second of all, like, what a weekend. Let me just cap it off with an award show, too. Just a dumb weekend. It's like, <laughs> I mean, like dumb, exciting, amazing. It, the, the, the week before Thanksgiving is always mad badness. People are just trying to, like, squeeze it all in before everybody disappears. You know. <laughs> all right. Well, now it's time for the chart stat of the week. And we're going to keep it Elton John focused. Nice. So, you know, since we just saw him this weekend, Katie, which of the following songs was not a top 10 Hot 100 hit for Elton John? Simple enough question. Uh, <laughs> we'll see. Which of these four? Okay. Tiny Dancer. Sorry seems to be the hardest word. I guess that's why they call it the blues. Or I don't want to go on with you like that. I also realized I picked three incredibly long song titles. <laughs> I think I know the answer to this one. And I, I see your red herring, and I'm not going to pick it. I think the answer is Tiny Dancer. You are correct. Tiny Dancer peaked at a lofty number 41. That's right. In 1972. When Hold Me Closer, the, you know, Britney 
featuring interpolation of Tiny Dancer came out, um, we were writing a lot about it. And so I was surprised mm. to see that very high number. But uh, in talking with our coworker, Paul, he said, like, basically, it's it's legacy has really grown since because of a lot of pop culture moments, yeah. you know, almost famous and yeah. even friends. Like there's like li- there's little tiny dancer things all over. Little, 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 little tinies, little tiny dancers just all over the place. Yeah. I mean, Tiny Dancer became a, I think it became sort of an, uh, like a, uh, kind of like a rock radio, adult contemporary sort of staple radio, mm-hmm. a, ra- a staple of adult contemporary radio later on in its uh, life. Cause I remember it bef- before Almost Famous, but then Almost Famous, the, the film used the song Tiny Dancer in it in a very, um, prominent way Mm -hmm. that took on a life of its own and resuscitated the track to a certain degree. And then it's also been synced in a million other things. But back then in 1972, it only got to number 41. Let me rattle off the the peak positions for the other songs. Well, I, and the one I figured you wanted me to pick was, I don't want to go on with you like that. Cause I don't know that song. I don't want to go on with you like that. (laughs) Don't want to be a feather in your cap. He did not play that on Saturday or Sunday, right? Hmm. He didn't. You sure? I'm pretty sure. Okay. <laughs> well, I don't want to go on with you like that. Pizza number two in 1988. Wow. Yeah. Okay. Um, it was stuck behind a George Michael song, the name of which I do not remember. Okay. Uh, I guess that's why they call it the blues, which he did play mm-hmm. on Saturday and Sunday. It peaked number, at number four in 1984. And sorry seems to be the hardest word, which I believe he did sing. Yes, he did. Reached number six in 1976. Um, though I like Elton ballads, I like the rockers more. Same with some exceptions. I mean, like your song. I mean, I guess for a live concert, your I like song is stuff. just. I mean, which he does as the second encore song. Like right. your song, I think is probably my exception to that rule. We, weirdly, Katie and I, when we saw the show, I think we both agree that, and maybe it was just because of how the uh, songs were sequenced in the show. It, to me, felt like I'm Still Standing was, like, bar none, like, the biggest hit he's ever recorded, ever. <laughs> it felt like that. It felt like it was the most fun to dance to. It was, like, such a release. It was like, yes! I said that to Dan, and he's like, well, duh, that song rules. That's what Dan had to say about I'm Still Standing. Do you think it's because, but, like, like <laughs> I'm Still Standing came out in, like, 82, 83. Right. So I wasn't. I wasn't really old enough at the time to know the song. I don't think you were even I was alive. Be, I was getting born around yeah. then. <laughs> so, like, is it because, like, why is it that song? I mean, I know it was prominent in, like, Rocket Man. That's yeah. how they kind of ended, and they recreated the, the whole video, music right. video, which is really cool. But I, I just feel like the song itself just played really well live. I mean, I feel like it didn't necessarily have to do with, like, how big the song is. It was just fun to sing along to with everybody else. Yeah. And and Alton's still standing. I think it I think it's the I don't know why I'm analyzing this so much because I did think about it. I'm like, why is it? I'm like, <laughs> is it because we're coming off a couple ballads and we feel this release of being able to dance? Is it I think it has this like da dun da dun da dun it has this like galloping driving beat yeah. to it. And I also think it's because it has a music video and it's from the MTV era. Yeah. And it's a video that I distinctly remember yep. from when I was a child. Those songs in the 70s, Saturday Night's All Right for Fight and Benny and the Jets, they don't have official music videos mm-hmm. in the way that we think of videos now. And I think no, that— those, all I, those I knew from, like, classic rock yeah. radio. So yeah. to me, 
I'm immediately thinking of like Elton John on the beach with Bruno Tony. What's his name? Tonioli. No, Bruno Tonioli <laughs> from uh, Dancing with the Stars. In his little like bikini on the beach, <laughs> dancing, you know, frolicking around. I immediately think of that because it's hilarious. so iconic, and I think that's what probably everyone else in the stadium thought too. They're like that video, that music video. I feel like they, they, they might not have overthunk it. They might have just it's just, just a big it. hit. Let's yeah. just do it. It's just a bop. Um, okay, we've reached the end of our big show. Um, any parting <laughs> words? Oh man, um, I guess not. I was like, oh, I'm not getting back to Vegas for a while. I was thinking, but uh, yeah, uh, no, no. <laughs> I will say, no, it was a great trip though. Uh, <laughs> it was great. <laughs> it's totally great. Katie's lying. The <laughs> no, best, it was amazing. The best parts, well, for me, the best parts of the Vegas trip. If you've ever been to Vegas, it's kind of. There's a lot. It's Vegas. It's, <laughs> it's kind of everything that you think it's going to be. And then it could be worse or better. Um, hanging out with Katie was fabulous. Always. Dinner with Katie, amazing. <laughs> going to Adele, wonderful. Uh, kind of getting there, staying there, traipsing around. Oh, like around. to actual Vegas. I was thinking. Like the actual Vegas parts. Ugh. Can I just say like a point that no one else probably cares about, but that I absolutely did. It was so much simpler to go back to my hotel room and write up this show immediately after because I didn't have to deal with, you know, driving out of a Dodger Stadium parking lot mm. and the whole slog of like getting away from a concert. When you're in Vegas, you just saunter out across the street to your hotel. Well, go yeah. to your go to your uh, room. That's it's the great. other thing too. I mean, <laughs> to, I mean, now I'm sort of dragging this out. But uh, Katie, tell me if you need to go away. No, I'm fine. Okay, I'm great. I mean, Katie and I stayed. Well, let's full disclosure. Katie and I stayed at the Flamingo Hotel. Yes, which is across the street from where Adele played at the Coliseum at Caesar's Palace. Flamingo is across the street from Caesar's. The convenience factor, 10 out of 10. Like, it was a 10-minute walk, probably. Yeah. Or maybe 9 out of 10. Most convenient would have been staying at Caesar's. Caesar's, yeah. <laughs> but that was uh, a bit out of, our, that was a bit out of our range. <laughs> um, also, Friday night in Vegas, no matter where you stay, it's going to be a bajillion dollars. Um, but uh, that kind of convenience doesn't always work where, like, you know, if you've never been to Vegas and you're looking, at like, at a map of all the hotels, you're like, oh, everything is really close they to one another. close. No. They're not. They're not. You're like, oh, that's just four casinos down. That's, like, imagine, you know, 20 city blocks. Right. <laughs> so when if when and if you go to Vegas, if you've never been there before, it does add a lot if you are trying to think, like, oh, we're going to see this show or this show. It probably would benefit you if you tried to stay within walking yes. distance across the street or maybe in the hotel that it's at. Yeah. Just for your sanity. This is why Otherwise I Otherwise you're going to be spending at least like 40 bucks in taxis just one direction. I feel like we're on like a Visit Las Vegas podcast now. <laughs> I, and we were, it's so convenient. We were, we, like I was there for less than 24 hours. Yeah, same. But it also felt like I was there for an eternity. <laughs> That's such a Vegas thing. <laughs> I mean, I'm, oh. I'm, I, I, it's, it just, you know, it's just, it's Vegas, baby. There's, there's a reason. There's I a, still love Vegas. Even after this trip? Yeah. Okay. I, <laughs> I was reminded why I don't like Vegas for this trip. Okay. I'm just going to say okay, it. We're no longer on the visit Las Vegas. No, don't say it. Don't say it? No. Don't say it. Don't get into it. I'll just bring a humidifier next time. There you go. The air is <laughs> too so dry. dry. <laughs> the air is too dry. 
And it's really smoky. It's smoky. And lotion. Bring a lotion. Lotion. <laughs> well, I, I didn't have like a like dry... Like a reptile skin. <laughs> oh, dear. Okay. All right. So what song should we go out on? Oh my Viva God. Las Vegas? Because <laughs> <laughs> clearly oh. the, the Las Vegas Visitors Bureau is going to pick this right. one up. Maybe we should do Leaving Las Vegas. <laughs> <laughs> oh. Uh, is that Cheryl Crow? Yes, it yeah, is. Yeah, I love that song. Let's do it. Okay. <laughs> See you guys next time. Bye. Bye.